The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture uh, to be found in the second chapter of Luke. The second chapter of the book of Luke. And it's going to, we're going to begin uh, with verse 39. Verses uh, 39 and 40 are not necessarily a part of the uh, stricter context of our remarks this afternoon, the Lord being our helper. But I do want you to see, it's important later on for us to see that the Lord Jesus Christ, everything he did while he was in this world was on purpose. Amen. Amen. Every move that he made, yes. every thought that he had, every word that he uttered, every step that he took. The psalmist says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. All of my steps are not ordered of the Lord right. because... I'm not always good. I wish I was. Right. Right. Amen. But I will tell you, Jesus Christ is the pinnacle um, good man. Right. And everything he did was on purpose and ordered of the Lord. Nothing accidental about the life of our Lord, our Messiah. So, in verse 39, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord... Christ kept the Deuteronomic code. They returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now this is the portion that we really want to pay attention to. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Three times a year, every male Jew was to appear uh, in the time of the tabernacle uh, before the Lord at the tabernacle and then in the time of the temple before the Lord uh, at the temple. And this is one of those three times. And when he, that is Christ, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey. Now, let's stop there. I don't want you to think hard of Joseph and Mary. In the communal, traditional culture of that day, it would not have been um, unusual for you to have expected that the family has him. You know, it's not like home alone. You, you would have expected that he would have been there with, you know, somebody. Of course, he's going to be in the caravan somewhere. Uh, it would not have been unusual for them just to assume that and to know that because families looked out for families back then and they wouldn't have thought it unusual. But they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again into Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now let me say, 
something about that, the three days back. So I, I believe, um, I believe that, you know, probably didn't take them as long to get back to Jerusalem as it did for them to get to where they were once they discovered he's not here. I think they got back to the city pretty quickly. It didn't take them three days. So what I think ensued after the, after the length of time, probably less than a day to get back to Jerusalem, what I think takes place is a two-day frenetic search for the boy. I think that, can you imagine, can you imagine how panicked you would be if you left one of your children some, and could not find them? I've been on the receiving end of that before as a boy growing up. I was left at the church house so many times by my father till by the time I was 12, it would not have surprised me to have come home from school one day and found out the family had moved and not left me a forwarding address. I would not have been surprised. I don't know. It was at least a half a dozen times growing up, but they were different days back then. At least that's what my therapist kept telling me. They were different days back then. They really do care for you, son. So... They would have been frenetic, and I will say to my father's credit, he was frenetic every time he came in the back door of the church looking for me. So I'm very thankful for that. So, so they, so there he was with the doctors, uh, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, and she stern. Two days of being frenetic. She is not ha- she is not pleased with Jesus. And she says, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. She just rebuked the second person of the Godhead. She did. She forgot what the angel told her. And <clears throat> And he said unto them, how is it? You know why Luke records this? Because it happened. Right. He received this under the influence of the Spirit of God from eyewitnesses. I'm not reading to you a cunningly devised fable. Amen. Myth or folklore. I'm telling you, the second person of the Godhead was manifest in the flesh. He came down and tabernacled among us. And at 12 years old, he looked at his mother and said, How was it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Even as a little boy. He said in Psalm 88, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. Even as a little boy, he was bearing the weight and the burden of your sin. You say, well, no, that didn't happen until Calvary. He didn't didn't feel the weight of it until he got to the cross. You need to go to Gethsemane. Now, let me stop and say, since this is being broadcast, Redemption on the cross. Amen. He himself bare our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead sins shall live and arise and by whose stripes are healed. It's on the tree that we're redeemed. 
But let me say that I'm going to stop. I may not get, I'm not going to get there everywhere. I'll just go as the Lord gives it. The Son of God, knowing, feeling the weight of our sins before He ever gets there, speaks something about the depth of the love of God for you. He knew He was God. He knew. You know, I hear this talk about a messianic consciousness, Brother David. You know, how conscious is he at 12 years old? What is his level of messianic consciousness? He always knew who he was. He always knew who he was. At 12, he says, how is it that you thought me? And so he knows before he goes to the cross. This is just a thought. He knows before he goes to the cross what's in it, in it. It talks to me about a different level of love that I can't even begin to comprehend. If he knows what he's going to. At 12 years old, he has some sense. He does, he has some sense. So we'll, um, we'll pass on and come back to that maybe just a little later. And so uh, he says, you know, how's it you saw at me? I've got my father's business. They understood not what he was saying. Uh, saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth. All right, They didn't get it. They understood not what he spoke to them. They simply didn't get it. It got by them. And he went down. So again, if you lose hold from time to time, you're going to. Remember, this is Mary, the mother of of the man, Jesus. Not the mother of God, the mother of the man. Uh, This is Mary who the angel spoke to. She knew who he was. And it got away from him. She didn't get it. Verse 50. But, notice verse 51. This is important. And he went down with them. Now notice he said, wished you not that I must be about my father's business, right? Time to get busy. So what does he do? You'd think, well, he's going to stay in Jerusalem and he'll correct the ungodly things that are going on in the temple courtyard, right? He get all that corrected. No. But he's about his father's business and going back, he goes, he went down with them, came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with the Lord. This is uh, a unique, it's the only, it is the only, outside of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and outside of uh, his, the three and a half years of his public ministry, this is the only record we have of anything in between. Haven't you always wondered what it was like, yeah. right? What was it like? Uh, I thought more about what it was like to grow up with Jesus. You know, to be one of the kids in the house. Well, you could always leave one out of who did it, right? Yeah. You didn't have to wonder about that. It was going to be James or you know, one of the others. We know that narrowed things down. So, but we're not told. We don't need to know. We don't need to know a lot. Um, except this. This one isolated incident that we're told about that's very unusual, that's very unique, very novel. And so, um, you know, as you look at it, uh, the things that are that are highlighted here, uh, and very very quickly, um, it becomes it becomes very clear that Jesus confounds people. That's important. Jesus is a category breaker. He confounds people. He confounds people who don't know him. The uh, doctors of the law, the lawyers, you know, the the greatest scholars on the face of the earth at that time, I believe, were Jewish scholars. He confounds him. He confounds people who don't know him, and he confounds people who do know him. Right. Jesus is a confounder, and he will confound you. Right. Yeah. He's going to confound you. Amen. 
He confounds people. But then he's committed to serving the people that he confounds. And the result is that we should ponder that. And we should trust him and love him uh, even though that he disturbs us and uh, he confounds us. He's, um, let me say this. It's important for us to understand. He's not five years old. He gets it. He's 12 years old. You know, I had pretty good self-consciousness at 12 years of age. I understood a lot about you know, things at 12 years of age. But how much more so Jesus? He knows that Mary is going to be upset, right? He knows that he's a category breaker. He knows that Mary's going to be upset. He knows that Joseph, uh, his uh, adopted earthly father, is going to be wringing his hands. They're going to be frenetic. They were sorrowful. And yet he chooses, he purposefully chooses to stay behind, even knowing the impact that it's going to have on others. That's very confound. I didn't understand, and still maybe not understand, but I didn't understand. I really didn't understand. That was a little problem for me. It was an issue for me. Wait a minute. Jesus, that's your mother. And you're willing for your mother to experience that kind of disequilibrium? And then... You know, kind of rebuke her. How is it that you sought me? What are you doing hunting after me? Don't you know that I must be about my father? She rebukes him. He turns and he kind of, you know, gives it back. He kind of rebukes her. See, it's not. Jesus does not intend to make you comfortable all your life. He does not. You've heard the old saying that, you know, he intends to... uh, he intends to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. Right. He is. Right. He's going to. Right. So we need to be confounded. There are areas of our life, there is of my life that I need to uh, look at again. I need to experience disequilibrium. Listen, we don't learn well. There's something that's called uh, learning disequilibrium, creative tension. We don't learn well as long as we feel real good about everything going on. But whenever things get stirred up in our life a little bit, we'll start looking for answers, right? right. So the Lord must stir us up and confound us a little bit. And um, Mary and Joseph were stirred up. (laughs) They were stirred up. He's 12 years of age. So now this is special. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. He's 12 years of age. And uh, this would be, for those of you who know uh, Judaism, 12 years of age. Year 12 for a Jewish male, that's a very big year. That's a very important year. During a Jewish male's 12th year, his father would mentor him in a very special way. He would spend that year mentoring his son vocationally. It'd be at year 12 whenever they'd lock in, okay, son, you're going to be this. And I'm telling Asher McCool at 18 years old, don't worry, son, you've got plenty of time. It's okay. At year 12, at year 12, Jewish fathers are saying, son, this is it. This is what you're going to do. And, And they work with them vocationally. They mentor them vocationally. And spiritually, they mentor them in depth spiritually. They will go with them. They'll walk side by side with them. And, and in this place, um, that would have happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, father, here in his 12th year, in his 12th year in Jerusalem, this would have been the trip of trips to the temple in Jesus' life as far as Joseph and Mary is concerned. This is a year that he would have honored Joseph as his uh, natural adopted father by going with him, walking with him side by side. He would have been, uh, he'd have been apprenticed that year. He would have been entrenched in the trade as a carpenter. 
But as they went to Jerusalem, his uh, his natural earthly father, I know his heavenly father is, I get that. But his natural earthly father would have taken him around Jerusalem that year, would have carried him around the streets of the city. And he would have went to all of the grand places. They would have observed the Passover together. He would have carried Jesus to the temple and said, son, here's the outer court. Here is the, uh, here's the court of the Gentiles. Here's the court of the women. Here's the outer court. And inside's the inner court. And you'll never get in there. Only, uh, only uh, Levites and the uh, Aaronic priesthood. Uh, one man goes back once a year into the holiest of holies. I wish you could see that. I'd love to see back there, but we'll never see that. Doesn't belong to us. And to the Passover lamb, he would have told him the great story. And I can just see Joseph. It's, tw- it's the 12th year. It's rising up in him. It's the 12th year. My son's about to become a man. And so he'll take special time with him at the Passover that year. And he'll begin to explain how the Lord delivered the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt. So many, 1,500 years previously. And what the, uh, what the bitter herbs mean and what the lamb means and what the blood on the doorpost. He'd have been very fastidious about that to see uh, that his son is properly educated. And I'm sure that all of that uh, took, took place. So that's the context. And his mother comes back and uh, she is not happy. And in so many words, you know, we're sorry. Where have you been? How in of all years, of all years, how could you dishonor your father like this? He just sent, he has just spent, you know, I mean, that's a strong patriarchal society back 2,000 years ago, right? And not to be where you're supposed to be at this sacred time of year would have been, uh, it would have been dishonor in the eyes of Mary based on her standards. How, how can you dishonor your natural father like this? I just don't understand it. She is not, she's not happy. And Jesus says uh, something that is just earth shattering. He says, I have been honoring my father. <sighs> don't you know... <laughs> Don't you know who I am? I must be about my father's business. Now, let me say this. The fact that he said, I must be about my father's business would have shaken everybody up around him. They didn't all know who he was. Mary did. I'm sure Joseph did. Of course, you know, his conversation angel. I don't know about the siblings. But the folks around don't know. He hasn't gone public yet, not until the feast in Cain of Galilee. And so Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. So this 12-year-old, who, by the way, it's amazing, has been holding his own with the greatest minds on the face of the earth, the greatest schools on the face of the earth, the greatest institutions on the face of the earth, the sharpest minds, I'm convinced, at this point in history are the rabbinical schools of three places. The rabbinical schools of Babylon, believe it or not, that's where the great rabbinical school, and probably the greatest rabbinical schools were in Babylon because of the uh, former presence of the Jews during uh, uh, exile period. They were left down there. The rabbinical schools of Alexandria, that is the schools of the rabbis, and uh, then the schools of the rabbis in Jerusalem. The greatest minds went to those three schools. 
And so once a year, the greatest rabbis would have come to Jerusalem with their greatest students. How wonderful it would be to be picked by the rabbi, who, the great rabbi that's teaching you to go to, with him to the temple. And so the greatest minds on the greatest, in the greatest days of the uh, calendar are there in Jerusalem. And Jesus, at 12 years of age, is debating with them and instructing them. That's amazing. Amen. So those are the minds that would have been there whenever Jesus says this. Know you not that I must be about my father's business. When he said my father, everybody knew what he meant and every head would have turned toward him. Jews did not call God their father. He was their king. He was their Lord. You know, he was Adonai, he was Elohim, he was Jehovah, and they never used that name. But they didn't use the word. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, whenever... Uh, the word father is used in relationship to his people. It's not to individuals. It's always to Israel as a nation. He's the father of Israel. A Jew would not have said, God is my father. It would have blown their minds. So he's definitely a category buster. He's, you can't, but it's important for him to say that right there, that God is my father. God is my father. Because, and here is what answered, here's the problem that I had with this. And it's not the main focus of what I'm going to say, but it's amazing how Satan can attack your mind. Here's the problem that I had with this passage of Scripture. Wait a minute. Mary is his earthly mother. And he's to honor your father and mother may be well with you while you live upon the face of the earth. The first commandment was a promise, right? And so he rebukes her at, at age 12. How is, how is that not wrong, right? It begs the question. How is that not wrong? And Jesus introduces a truth that blows their minds and shows that he's a category buster. He tells them all, I have a relationship with God, the Father, that relativizes every other relationship in my life. In other words, my relationship with God the Father is such that it kind of puts a different twist on my relationship with Mary and Joseph. See, in our lives, there are, there are priorities to relationships, right? Yeah. I mean, my son knows that I love him. He's the beat of my heart. We've missed him like everything. Seen him four days in the past eight months, and we breathe after him. But listen, my primary relationship, first of all, in my life is with his mother. And the best thing I could ever do for him as a son was for him to understand that that's my primary Amen. relationship, and you're that's right, right behind. Right. You're right next. God first, mother, and then son. That's right. But... <laughs> Jesus is telling them that that's the priority of relationships with me. God is my father. And that relationship really shifts all other relationships in my life. And he's first. Amen. He's first. And then you, I must be about my father's business. And he's my father in a way that he's nobody else's father so that uh, I obey him first and uh, I obey and this is it and I obey you because I choose to we're going to see that in verse 50 I obey you because I choose to now listen Jesus could have said this and been right he said listen I don't have to obey you I don't have to obey you and it'd have been right I don't have to obey you because I'm older than you are <laughs> That's the first, that's the first uh, kid could ever say that to their parents. That's I'm right. older than you are. 
And he's holding them by a pretty good stretch. <clears throat> so he, he does, and I'm telling you, he does rebuke his parents. He, he absolutely does. How does it just saw at me? Uh, <clears throat> so here, here you cannot say that he's just a, a great teacher, that he's just a great prophet of morals and ethics and all like that. No, he's saying that I'm the son of God. God is my father. Um, and that makes him more than just a great teacher, by the way. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis said that that's the, uh, that's the 3L test. C.S. Lewis said that you cannot say, Jesus didn't just say I'm a great teacher. He said, I'm, he said that I'm, I'm the son of God. I'm exclusively the, the second person of the Godhead. God is my father in a way that he's nobody else's father. And uh, that makes me Lord. And C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus is, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's a Lord. <laughs> One of those three. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And here at 12 years of age, that's what he's saying. I'm Lord. I'm the second person of Godhead. I'm the son of God. God is my father. So listen, he's not a liar. <laughs> he's not a liar. He is truth, truth personified. He wasn't lying. He wasn't trying to do people. Um, he was not delusional. He wasn't a lunatic. He didn't have a God delusion. He's Lord. Amen. He is Lord. So uh, he boggles, but he confounds people. And that's confounding. Whenever they come back, they're distressed. As he comes back here, he confounds them. Uh, let me say, if I'd have been left alone in a city of over, it swelled over a million people in the time of Passover, and I'm 12 years old, I'm by myself, I would have been beside myself. But he's not. They're hanging on his every word. He tells them, I've got other business right here. Mary's confounded. Verse 50 is very plain. They do not get it. They don't get it. And so, uh, He tells them, in a way, who he is, what he's come to do. I guess this is this is what I want to end with. This is this is the thought that I want to end with. Uh, I know it's confusing. He's confounding. So why should I follow him? And this is it. Let, let me say, Jesus will confound you. It it will get confusing at times, right? So why should, I find, why should I follow him? The disciples, you remember Mark 5, they're out in the boat and uh, the sea comes on the, uh, comes on the Sea of Galilee and uh, Jesus is asleep. And, and the language is such that if they take one more wave over the bow of the boat, they're going to do what? Go down, right? That's the language. The book says it's full. They can't take any more. They're going to overflow, go down. And so they, they go to the same. They're confounded. They're confused. We have the second person of the Godhead on board with us. We're about to drown and he's down in the hole and he's asleep. Things are not going well. And they wake him up and they ask a question that they should have never asked him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? We thought you cared for us. Let me say, Jesus cares. Amen. Jesus cares. The very fact that the Son of God was on the boat with him was all the proof they need that he cares. The very fact that Jesus Christ was willing to endure the foul stench of the sin-cursed earth 
and be in our presence is the fact that he cares. But they were confounded. It didn't line up with what they thought he was supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be saving and we're drowning. But they forgot his promise. He said, let us go the other side. So guess where they were going to be? No matter what the circumstances look like, they're going to the other side. They're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. (laughs) You are. That does not mean that the storms are not coming. It does not mean that Christ will confound you with uh, the way he leads and directs. We know things he's not going to do. He's not going to tempt you to sin. He's He's not the author of chaos or confusion. I'm not saying that. But he will confound you with your will, with his will for your life. We love our will, right? I, you know, as a 17 year old boy, I graduated from high school and I moved to McClenny, Florida. I moved four hours away from home. <clears throat> and I loved home. I still wear my daddy's ring to this day. I had a great, as, as fine a dad as I've ever known in my life. And, and so the church at McClenny had called me. And you know what dad said? He said, Son, go up there and help him up for a couple of years. <laughs> just go stay for a couple of That's all. Just go stay. And that's all I ever intended to do was just stay for a couple of years. I loved him. He was precious. He was dear to my heart. He was a gospel minister and the safest I ever felt was being around him. And at 17 years old, the Lord sends me to McClenny, Florida, way away from my daddy. Now, you said, well, 17 years old. Maybe you had not been 17 years old lately. <laughs> 17 years old, leaving home, moving in an apartment by myself, going to pastor a church. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go home. I'd go see him. Once a month, I'd go see him, and I'd cry all the way back to McClenny, Florida. Cry, and I'd think, you know, and and let me say, the reason that I was going back to McClenny, weeping the whole way, was because I believe that's what Jesus wanted me to do. I believed that it was his will, but I'd ask a lot of questions on the way back. My daddy was getting very sick. He was getting very ill. And on the way back, I'd say, Lord, why won't you just let me be with my dad? (laughs) Why can't it be in Plant City? Why can't I stay there? It's hard sometimes. God's will is hard. Well, how do you know that was God's will for you to be in McClenny, Florida? Well, it's been 43 years and I'm still hanging out at the same place. If not, I've made a terrible mistake somewhere if that's... Wasted my whole life. No, it was clearly God's will. But it was the most one of the most difficult things I ever did in my life. He will confound you. So if he can, if his will can be so difficult and so contrary to what I want and to what you want, why should we trust him? And the answer is before us. He gives us an idea of what he was doing there. And we'll close with this. He gives us an idea of what he was doing there. This is why you can trust him. He tells her, I'm going to say it again for the 12th time. He tells her, know you not that I must be about my father's business. Now, this is why you can trust him. It's clear what's on his mind, right? Yeah. What's on his mind? His father's business. Right? What's his father's business? Your salvation and redemption. Amen. That was his father's business. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all my father had given me, 
I should lose no thing, but raise it up again at the last day. This is why I trust Him. Because as a 12-year-old boy, as a 12-year-old boy, when his natural father was walking him around Jerusalem, saying, son, this is the temple. This is where we worship. I believe by faith because of what he indicates. He was about his father's business. I believe his real father, his heavenly father, was whispering in his ear and saying, son, you see this temple? It's going away. Because you're the temple. Then as he began to walk down the streets, some of the streets that 21 years later, he's going to walk down bearing a tree. His heavenly father says, son, remember these streets. You're going to come back here in 21 years, except you'll be bearing a wooden cross. You'll be bearing the tree of the cross for my children. As Joseph is showing them the wonders of Jerusalem. And as they go into the Passover in Jerusalem that night, at 12 years of age, and he's thinking about his father's business, and Joseph is explaining the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread and the, and the blood on the doorpost and the lentils. And then the lamb that has been examined for 14 days by the priest in the congregation and that has been found without spot and without blemish and sacrificed so that God would pass over the Israelites in judgment. His heavenly Father tells him, Son, you're the lamb. (laughs) It's you. It's not that four-legged quadruped that is going to free my people from their sins, but it is you, Son. You're the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And uh, that's though, Job said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust Him. He has slayed my will again and again and again in my life. But I trust Him. Why? Because even at 12 years old, He was committed to me. Living for me, as I say, the life that I couldn't live, died the death that I couldn't die to go to a place I'd never get on my own. He's a trustworthy God. Not only that, but the Word of God says that that he went back with them, even though he's on his father's business. Teenagers, I want you to pay attention to this. That he went back with them, and he was subject unto them. Now, how does going back home with Joseph and Mary, how does that help you in your redemption? You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't just appear on the earth as a full-grown man. Our nation has slaughtered a million babies a year for so many years I can't remember. Jesus Christ came into a woman's womb to represent all those little babies that never see the light of day. He was a little infant held in his mother's arm to represent all of those little babies who never make it to maturity. And he went back in his adolescence as a teenage boy to submit and be the perfect ultimate teenager in the home. Because he knew what David Crawford was going to be like as a teenager. Y'all, 
I need it, especially during my, I need him to walk out my law place today, but I sure needed him to keep the law for me in my teenage years. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all can be quiet about that if you want to. God knows you. (laughs) Boy, there's nothing more awkward on the face of the earth than a 13-year-old boy, right? (laughs) And I need it. And, I, and if you're here and you're 13 years old, I want to apologize. <laughs> but it's God's truth. A boy, it's God's truth when the world's on fire. And so I needed Jesus to go back home with Mary and Joseph and obey them and keep the law as a child and an adolescent and a teenager ought to keep the law because I sure did not. <clears throat> and I need to remember that. We've had a principal back home that's been sick quite a bit. And I had a background in principaling schools of at-risk kids. First school I was principal of was behind bars and had secure padded timeout rooms. We used to have to put grown boys in those pads. They'd have psychotic experiences and I'd have to put them in there until things kind of settled down. And so our at-risk school, the principal's been very ill this year. And so I went to the superintendent and said, listen, I understand that part of it. We don't have another administrator that's ever done that. I get it. I'll go do it. And my other job, because I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> so, uh, so I've been there for a lot of months now. I thought it was just a six-week stint, and it's been all year. And so I go there while the kids are there and go to my office after they leave. And... Uh, those broken, those bad, those bad, broken children come before me for discipline. And because I love them, I discipline them. Amen. Amen. You know, discipline is not what you do to people. It's what you do for people. Amen. Now, prison wardens do punishment. Loving folks do discipline. Right. You're being faithful, helping them remember where the where the the healthy fences, limits, and perimeters are. America needs to start doing that again. Amen. And they sit down in front of me, and uh, you know there are some there are some administrators they cannot do discipline unless they get mad. That's the last time you need to do discipline. Right. So how do you keep from being mad as a parent and discipline? How do you keep from being mad and in wrath as a principal doing discipline whenever they've said bad things to you on the way into your office. How do you do that? How do you not personalize? You remember, you remember this, parents, moms and dads, if there's a principal in the room. (laughs) I remember, as I begin to work with him, I do, I consciously remember this, that Jesus had to go be a good teenager for David Crawford. (laughs) Jesus had to go do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so uh, I'm not going to take it personal. (laughs) I'm not. Now, I still discipline, okay? For those of you who know, oh, he's a bleeding heart. My heart does bleed. It does. I grieve over sin. But because I love him, I will will, uh, be fair, firm, and factual. (laughs) I do love him. It should impact the way we treat each other. Amen. It should make us more patient with one another and kinder toward each other as we think about what Jesus had to do because of us, for us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.